preaching text today is from Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come that you are blessed by my father Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was a naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are cursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Righteous Lord, we rely on your word. Give us the fullness of your word, both in its law and in its gospel, in its justice and in its mercy. Bring us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, today is our last regular Sunday in Lent. So we are coming right to the end of the season. Next week, uh, we will be in Holy Week with Palm Sunday, the celebration of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then Maundy Thursday, our commemoration of the Last Supper, Good Friday, uh, when we commemorate the crucifixion, and then uh, Easter Sunday, uh, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And as we are drawing near to the end of the season of Lent and to the beginning of the season of Easter, we are also drawing near to the end of our time in the Gospel of Matthew. 
So in Matthew's gospel, uh, this passage comes right at the end, uh, right near the end. So if you remember how Matthew's gospel is sort of organized, there's these length series, uh, there's these sections of long teaching from Jesus, followed by these uh, sections of miracles and healings and, and other encounters with folks. Uh, and there's five of these throughout Matthew's gospel. Our passage for today is the very end of the very last of these long series of teachings, and it comes in the same series as what we heard last week. So last week, you remember, we had this parable of the bridesmaids, 10 bridesmaids, five were foolish, five were wise, five had uh, no extra oil for their lamps, five had extra oil for their lamps, and they're waiting for this bridegroom who is incredibly late for his own wedding, and they all fall asleep, and when they wake up, uh, because the bridegroom is arriving, the ones who have extra oil can get their lamps going again, the other ones leave to go and purchase some, and they miss out on the entire wedding feast. Well, this parable, uh, this uh, teaching of Jesus here today at the end of Matthew 25 uh, is in that same series of parables, and it has the same themes of waiting, of the end, and of being ready at the time of judgment. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, if you remember from last week. He has left Jerusalem. Uh, he's still right around Jerusalem, but he's gone out of Jerusalem up to the Mount of Olives, and he's with his disciples. And all of this started because he had said the temple is going to be torn down. Not one stone will be left on another. And the disciples come to ask him, what will be the sign of these things? How will we know when this is going to come? And here he is speaking to his disciples. And so he tells this story, and the story seems to have a pretty straightforward understanding of the story, right? Uh, if we are going to uh, reduce this story to its moral, if we are going to draw the lesson from this story, it seems pretty straightforward. However you treat the least of these is how you treat Jesus. Whatever you do or do not do unto the least of these, you do or do not do unto Jesus. Or to put it in a little bit more uh, uh, straightforward terms, go and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give drink to the thirsty and welcome the stranger and take care of the sick and visit those who are in prison or else, right? I'm told that this was... Uh, a favorite passage, or at least the most referenced passage, by Mother Teresa of Calcutta. So Mother Teresa, of course, is famous for uh, spending her life uh, with the least of these, those who were deemed unworthy or untouchable by the society that they lived in. And apparently this parable, this story, was uh, really the story that drove her work with them that she uh, was driven to be among the least of these, to be uh, clothing the naked, to be caring for the sick, to be visiting those in prison, those who no one else would visit. And yet something else uh, that you may know about Mother Teresa, and this was especially talked about uh, in the years following uh, her death when the Catholic Church was uh, investigating to see if, if they could uh, uh, qualify or recognize her as a saint, uh, that she also lived a very difficult life when it came to faith. Her life of faith was not a life of peace and serenity. It was a life of doubt and despair, 
Some of these journals have now been published, these uh, private journals that she kept throughout her life. Um, And if you've ever looked at them, you see that she is constantly wrestling with God. Is God even there? What does God think of her? Will she be judged rightly when she comes to stand before the king in his judgment? Now, if Mother Teresa, who is almost the definition of charity in our modern times, Uh, Everybody knows what you're talking about when you say Mother Teresa. And if she, when looking at this passage, was worried about whether she would be on Jesus' right hand with the sheep or left hand with the goats, what hope is there for any of the rest of us? Did Jesus tell this story? Remember, he's talking to his disciples, not the leaders who he's had conflicts with. Does Jesus tell this story just to terrify them? Is that the idea? To keep them on their toes so they will be driven, as Mother Teresa was, to spend their lives in service of those who are the least of these? Or is something else going on here? I mean, you and I, when we compare our work, uh, when we see this demand here, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit those who are in prison, feed the hungry, give drink to those who are thirsty, welcome the stranger. Maybe we've done it to some extent, but we haven't sacrificed our whole lives for it, as some others have. Maybe something more is happening here. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this lesson is incorrect. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't identify with the least of these. Certainly, he identifies himself with the least of these here. That is clear. And it's also clear that God cares very deeply how we treat those who are powerless in our society. God cares very deeply how we treat those who are in need around us. But there's more to this story than just the lesson. Look at those first couple of verses. I think we often kind of pass over these. We get so quickly to uh, the actual uh, uh, statement of the verdict of these two groups um, that we miss kind of a a, a big part of what's happening here. This is verses uh, 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and then he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, this is sort of just the setup of the story, right? It's this sort of, well, of course, you know, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a judgment. We sort of gloss over it. But notice here, who's in charge at the judgment? Jesus is. How in charge is he? Well, let's see. He's come with his glory. All of his angels are with him. He is sitting on the throne of his glory. How big is this jurisdiction that he has? All the nations are gathered before him. All the nations, no exceptions, are gathered before him. And then what does he do? He separates the people. He does himself, separates the people, divides them as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Now, just imagine the logistics of this. If you're going to imagine this gigantic room here, and Jesus is sitting on this throne, and all of the nations are gathered before him. Let's even just say representatives of some of the nations. There's a lot of people here before him. Now, imagine he gets off his throne, and he starts to walk among the people, and he's taking them. They don't really know what's going on yet, but he's taking you, and he's moving you over here, and he's saying, you need to come over to this side, and he's moving, and he's just walking around and separating the folks out. How long do you think that's going to take? 
I acted this out once with uh, a group of uh, confirmation students at my internship uh, site, and it took us like 10 minutes just to get everybody positioned before we could even get to the part where we were, uh, uh, Jesus was delivering his verdict and the lines were being read. That was the bulk of the time, is Jesus actually walking through and doing the dividing. When you think about this story, the emphasis, we tend to get caught up on the reasons Jesus gives for his verdict But most of the time is spent with Jesus actually coming and doing the dividing. With Jesus taking one and setting them with the sheep. With Jesus taking another and setting them with the goats on his left hand. Then, then we get to the part that we're used to. Then he speaks his words. What do you notice about that? Do you notice as he speaks, he says to the ones on his right, he says, enter into the kingdom, for you have done all of these things to me. You have, you have treated me. And how do the righteous, this is the first time they're called the righteous, how do the righteous respond to Jesus? When did we do this, right? They have no idea. They are completely flabbergasted that they have ever seen Jesus in, uh, in such a time of need. And maybe even if they can think of a time that maybe they saw Jesus in a time of need, Jesus is about to go to the cross after all, uh, they uh, know that they did not actually do much to help him. They're flabbergasted by this. And yet Jesus says, you have done this to me. Whatever you did to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. How lucky that they did it to one of the least of these. Then he turns to the ones on the left, and what does he say to them? He says, depart from me into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Always remember that hell is not uh, a place where the devil reigns. It's a place where the devil is destroyed and punished. Uh, Depart from me into this eternal fire, he says, because you did not do these things to me. And what's their response? Wait, Jesus When did we ever see you in these situations? They've heard what he said to the righteous. When did we ever see you like this and not do it? They seem to think that they have actually done what is required. And what does Jesus say? If you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Now, if you think about the math of this division that Jesus has done, if we try and come up with the verdict, how is Jesus making his decision? about who is on this side and who is on this side. Now, maybe, okay, I can imagine if you, every needy person that you ever encountered, you helped, right? 100%. You've got 100% success rate, definitely on the sheep side. On the other hand, if, you, if every single needy person you've ever encountered, you never helped, right? Then I can see you being on the goat side. Okay, so those two groups, that makes sense. What about the person who's, you know, 90% of the time helped folks? Which, which direction do they go? What about 60%, 40 40%, 10%? How, how is this decision being made? One, and one in both sides. Now, put yourself in one of these groups. Let, and you, and you uh, Tell me, raise your hand now, if there's anybody in here who has that 100%, who has helped absolutely every needy person they've ever encountered. All right, raise your hand then if you've never helped a needy person, and we can help you find one that you can help. (laughs) Raise your hand if you've uh, helped one, at least one. Raise your hand if you've failed to help at least one. 
Most of us are in the, both of these groups. According to Jesus' sentencing, we fit into either. So when you stand before Jesus, where will you end up? And how do you know? How can you find out? What makes the difference between these two groups? I mean, there might be a difference in the averages of how helpful they are overall. But in the story, it's Jesus' word. Notice that they're not called the righteous. I mentioned this before. They're not called the righteous until he speaks to them. Enter into the uh, kingdom of my father. Then the righteous answer. Jesus' word determines these two groups. And Jesus gives two different kinds of words to them. There's this old painting. Um, I don't know exactly the history of it, but I know it was around in the medieval period. It was uh, uh, well known to Luther, actually. And it was this uh, painting, this image of the final judgment. And Jesus is on his throne of glory. It looks like he's sort of sitting on the, uh, the sun. He's standing on a cloud and there's, you know, shining behind him. And out of his mouth are coming two things. Towards his uh, left side is coming a sword. Towards his right side is coming a rose. These are the two words that Jesus is speaking, one of condemnation, of destruction, one of uh, blessing. And these words are what determine these people, because to one, Jesus relates to them according to the law. And what does the law demand? We've talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. The law demands perfection. So according to the law, who has uh, earned the right to be a sheep? Absolutely no one. They missed one at least one. Some of them might have missed a whole lot more than one. I know I have. And according to the law, this is where they sit. What about on the other side? What word are they receiving? Not law, but gospel. And what does the gospel do? Does the gospel, the gospel doesn't come to you and see how you've done to decide whether you are worthy or not. The gospel makes you worthy. Suddenly, these people who have been placed to the right of Jesus and who have received this word enter into the, uh, the uh, kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. They are now the righteous. They have now received the gospel. And they are now learning that they have treated Jesus well in ways that they have cared for him without ever knowing that's what they were doing. God, it turns out, was working good works through them without their ever realizing it. These two words determine us now. Because Jesus, of course, doesn't stop uh, after this teaching. Even though he's, he's done with this teaching, it's not as though he has nothing more to do, right? We're going to hear over the next week about what happens after this. In fact, if I was to read the very uh, next two or three verses here after uh, our reading, if we had gone on just two more verses, we'd hear this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. In two days, Jesus will be handed over. In two days, Jesus will hunger. In two days, Jesus will thirst. In two days, Jesus will be naked. In two days, Jesus uh, will be imprisoned. In two days, Jesus will be unwelcomed like a stranger. And his disciples will abandon him. He tells them this at Monday, Thursday at, the, uh, at this Last Supper. You will abandon me because the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter, he says. Peter says, of course, I will never abandon you. I, I will be with you forever. And we know how that turns out. In just a few days, all of the people that he is speaking to will be revealed to be goats. 
Because when Jesus is among the least of these, when he is hanging between the thieves on the cross, they will abandon him. But he doesn't stop there. Because after three days, he is raised from the dead. And he returns to those same disciples, not with judgment, not with condemnation, not with the sword, but with the rose, with the gospel, with the forgiveness of sins. Peace, he says, be with you. And with that word, he changes them so that they are no longer goats living under the law, but are sheep living under the gospel. And though they look down at themselves and they still see goat feet and goat hooves down there, they have the word of their Lord Jesus Christ who has declared them to be sheep. The same Lord Jesus Christ who will come in glory, sit on the throne of, the glo- of his glory with his angels, who will gather the kingdoms before him, who will himself divide the people as he sees fit. And they have a promise from this Lord, from this judge, that he has decided to make of them sheep. How about for you? You too have received a promise from this Lord, from this Jesus Christ. In your baptism, in communion, in preaching, in scripture, in prayers, all throughout your life, God has been delivering this promise to you again and again that in Jesus Christ and for his sake, you are his sheep, not his goats. Now, does this excuse you from having to care for the poor? If you are uh, responding to it and saying, well, good, now I don't actually have to care for any needy people, uh, then I uh, worry that perhaps you're not actually hearing the message very well. Perhaps you're not actually taking seriously what Jesus has done for you, because Jesus has made you sheep. You don't have to despair before God. You don't have to go around looking for ways to impress God with your charity. You can simply be a sheep in the world. This is what God has made you to be. And so when a poor and a needy person comes up to you, you don't have to sort of evaluate and think, okay, so if I help this person, how much credit will this give me for Jesus at the last judgment? You can just see them as they are and help them. You're free. You don't have to worry about the end. You can focus on the now because the end has been given to you ahead of time in a way that doesn't make any sense according to the law, but it's the way that the Lord Jesus Christ has decided to give it to you. This is who you are, sheep. This is who Jesus has made you to be. This is who Jesus is sending you into the world to be. And at that last judgment, when Jesus goes to separate the sheep and the goats, he will take you according to his promise and set you on his right hand and give you that rose, that gospel, that word of forgiveness. This you can count on. This you can work with every day of your life as you pour yourself out for your neighbor. This belongs to you and it will not be taken away. Amen. Thank you.